Welcome to the, this uh, Serenity and Leadership uh, podcast. And today we're uh, welcoming Lex. Lex Sherwin, is that how yeah, to say it? Not bad, not bad, Tom. Um, to uh, join us. And we're going to be exploring again aspects of leadership. Leadership today and what, uh, how leadership needs to look in the future, but today. So, Lex, um, can you just uh, start out by telling us a little bit about your journey? Um, how have you got to where you are today? And what were the sort of major um, influences in your life that have, have really molded you and, and perhaps some that you had to uh, fight out of a mold? Um, yes. Um, so I'm the son of um, Nigerian immigrants who emigrated in the 60s. Um, and I think a lot of my molding is coming comes from the clash between the cultures, the Nigerian culture and the, the British culture, and fighting my parents, <laughs> fighting for my own identity based on my own experiences of the both. So, um, kind of rejecting some of the Nigerian culture, which I which I found was a bit too harsh, and then also rejecting maybe some of the the British culture, which I didn't take to and then bringing those two together to form my own identity which you know kind of helped me clash against my with my father really me and my father clashed a lot and in those clashes amongst other things within my family I thought I guess I formed some kind of right or wrong idea about the way of doing things and even when it came to being a parent it was those ideas were formed very early on in my life I have a very protective nature and probably why I've gone into the security industry and I was always very protective as a young kid and I hated bullies I just hated bullies so I would always be stepping up and fighting on behalf of weaker more vulnerable people um, it helped that I was always tall as a child I was always a tall child and um um, and you, I, how tall are you now I'm six foot seven yeah I was about six foot three when I was 13 um 14 so i've always been a tall a tall one um and you know i come from a very dysfunctional household um and but within that dysfunctional household i had very clear ideas on what was right or wrong i've just always had this right wrong right wrong um element to myself and um when i look back being an African child, you're supposed to do whatever your parents tell you to do. There's just no question about it. They're, they're the kings and queens, and you are not allowed to question their um, what they say. I didn't quite <laughs> go along with that, um, and I, in, in the intervening years since, I realised that I was quite a bold child. In that, if something was wrong, I would vocalise that, um, even to my elders, because I just saw it as no, it's not right. Um, so I've kind of always walked with being bold and voicing my my opinions of what I think is right or wrong along the way. Um, in in forming my leadership, I was a I would say I started off as a reluctant leader, and in looking at my journey and breaking that down, I was the youngest in my family for seven almost eight years. Then I was in the middle when my three brothers and sisters came along, and then my two sisters two older sisters ran away from home and then i was thrust into oh you're the oldest now you are responsible for your brothers and sisters etc so i've kind of played all of those three roles and the reluctant leader role stayed with me for a long time until um, early 30s when i accepted 
because I was always being put into leadership positions and but I didn't want it so I was always in one foot oh I don't want this okay but they they want me to do it so I'm going to do it and then early 30s I was like okay accept this you are a leader people are keep pushing you into leadership positions there must be a reason and then from that moment and accepting my leadership role wholeheartedly that's when I started to really make a difference um, to myself to others to organizations that are represented um, and was always people always were were happy to follow my lead as well and I don't know maybe it goes back to my very distinct what's right what's wrong um, I will fight for my teams if people are working with me against the bosses <laughs> etc and so you forge very close relationships because people trust you and trust that you're even if they're in the wrong I will tell my team that they're in the wrong but when my team is in the right I will stand up for them and fight on their behalf <clears throat> you've kind of been a little bit of a an unofficial ambassador for us for serenity and leadership this year because you have come to so many of our events mm -hmm. and been a really really valuable contribution to those so it started with our first mastering power dialogue yes. and then you also came to our mastering feminine power mm -hmm. workshop and what i love about you is that you are so open to one like a responsible leadership but mm -hmm. also the role of your feminine and masculine energies within mm. that and so can you talk a bit about one your experiences within the dialogues and the workshop but also how that relates to your work with your team and how you kind of talk to them about using these more kind of feminine qualities mm. in their work okay so my experiences in your workshop i came to the workshop around mastering power it, I'm, as a member of um this is at the library and i'm a member and I came, I saw it and I came and I like to explore new ways of doing the same thing. Um, and so it, it, I was intrigued and so I came along. And what I really liked about the, the, the way you set up that, that dialogue was just the inclusive, you, first you set up as a circle so there was no defined head or leader. And that round table um, setup is is important and it's something that's actually developed in one of my places where I work where the team have it's a round table and it's amazing how they take equal responsibility for what goes on so win mastering power which I think we all should do like personal power and then when you have power over others as you do when you run a business to be responsible with that and to be an an asset in other people's lives um, and then moving on to the the mastering feminine power that called to me and I brought a friend along who um, was very interested she's very interested in power power dynamics um, and what's also struck me is how many females have, it's the majority females that have come to those sessions so that must be some a touch point with females about mastering power and being understanding what power is etc etc and I think I've told you this before the last one the last session you did was I just found that amazing it was the Lego play the the, the four quadrants quadrants of power I walked away I walked away from that session very affected for about two weeks I have to be honest with you it was it was very um yeah maybe reflect very deeply on on certain powers where I'd been my journey my evolution etc you know when when I stood in the quadrant of the negative masculine power it maybe it took me back to a period in my life in the 90s where was which wasn't very great um for me and i was like oh i'm so glad i'm not there anymore <laughs> but it was 
helpful in keeping things in, pers in perspective to see where you are today, to see where you need to go forward in the future. Now, my fascination with feminine, the feminine aspects of power comes from the conflict management training workshops and, and coaching and mentoring that I do inter in internally in my business, but also externally with um, other businesses, with people outside of security. And what I found with in, in really helping others to develop and in developing myself as well is to embrace the softer aspects of what people believe um, power is. So for, and it's interesting that when I'm dealing with the males in my, in my industry and I'm coaching and mentoring them, I'm introducing the feminine. I don't name it that because they would just put their barriers up and they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept, they probably wouldn't accept it. But they know you need to embrace your feminine power. Like, what? Um, and when I'm mentoring and coaching a lot of the females who, who believe they're powerless or they don't, they can't affect or even stop a situate a conflict situation because I'm a, I'm a woman, they're sitting in that space or they identify themselves. Oh, I'm a, I'm a woman. I can't, I don't have the power. I'm introducing the more masculine traits of power into them and for them to embrace and then use. Um, and there are times where um, I have to be tougher sometimes with the females to get them into that energy, embracing that energy of assertiveness. And then they'll go into a situation, be very assertive and then surprise themselves that they were able to manage it. And then with the guys, it's because they're so quick to use the, uh, the stronger energy to say, no, go in and be a bit more considerate. Listen first, um, slow down, patient. And when they embrace that, how much, when they, when, when that light goes on their eyes, when it's, oh, I got the result I wanted, but not in the way I would have normally gone about it. Um, and so in my, in my, my own personal journey, I've got four sisters and, and one brother. So I'm, and mom and now I have a daughter. And there are times when we get together at Christmas, it's like, it's just lots of females around. And that energy is just normal. For me, it's not um, something which I, I don't understand or is alien to me. Um, and in raising a daughter um, and trying to help a, a, a daughter to, you know, live in this world, this crazy world that we that we live in, and give her to empower her, I have to see it from her. I can't tell her to act like me. I'm six foot seven. And <laughs> most people um, look at me in a different way than they do a, a female, a female. So it's, I have to see it from her point of view and the skills and past those skills that she can use in, in who she is. And she is coming from a feminine aspect. So sometimes I'm with my, with my daughter and she, you can see she's, Oh, I can't because I'm a woman. And I'm like, no, you can, because you're a woman. Mm. All you have to do is use this energy, this different energy here. Um, and seeing her blossom and grow is 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 fantastic. So, the feminine and masculine, um, and is the balance between the two. You may be successful, but you won't be successful majority of the time. But when you can remain balanced, you'll be successful a lot more if you can make use of the feminine and masculine and know when to access those different um, energies to get the result that you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, I think some of the women in that workshop, and it was a realisation that I'd had anyway previously with my own kind of internal work around the feminine and masculine, is that for a woman, you can't really fully embrace and use and harness your feminine energy to its full potential without 
understanding your masculine energy and having that there as a solid base of which to operate from because and I and I think we talk a lot about women in the workplace having to lead with their masculine energy Mm. just to fit in and I think there's a really like nuanced subtle difference between understanding and harnessing your masculine energy to like then be able to lead with your feminine and vice versa and I think I noticed with a lot of the women the frustration that they are leading with their male energy and maybe have stuck got stuck there mm. and because they're not accessing their feminine energy there's a frustration or there's a um, a, a disconnect from who, who they really are and they were looking for a new way that's probably why they were in the room they were looking for another way to you know and maybe not being able to name it and you guys probably helped them to name what's going on and then help them to embrace that feminine power and see the power in using feminine energy and power whereas I think a lot of them were seeing it as something they had to keep away to get the respect of men um, and to be able to live in that male dominated environment but as a man did you ever feel frustrated by not being able to express or use your feminine energy at any point in your life like did you there was there a point that you realized that you had these different energies and you could call upon them I think that came later my late 20s I think up until that point, um, I have. I think going, when you when I go back to me being me hating bullies and protecting vulnerable and young, it's it comes from a place of compassion, um, and I, I wouldn't say that I, I was too young to even know what that meant. It was just something natural that I had a compassion for the vulnerable, the weak, and felt that they. I guess I felt that they had the right to exist freely just as much as everybody else so when somebody's trying to oppress them suppress them or, or you know um take away their identity to, to to a certain extent by bullying them i'm like no that's not right again it's going back to the right or wrong and it's just natural that, that that's not that doesn't look right to me and i'm gonna do something about it as i say god bless me with with height so <laughs> it was i was able to make a difference in that regard maybe if i wasn't if i wasn't a, a tall kid might have got beaten up a couple of times and said, okay, that's, mm-hmm. I don't think I should do that anymore. Or maybe we would have found a, another way just to share. Um, this is like a new phase. Again, this is a new phase of my life. And I, I understand I need to share my journey. I got shot in, in when I was 21 years old. Uh, I got shot in the face. And after getting shot, I was, I blamed myself. You go through those processes of blame yourself, shame, anger, etc., etc. And because I blamed myself, I was like, okay, the person who I was before I got shot is why I got shot. So I'm going to be the complete 180 degree opposite of that person. So for a while, I was not a, a very nice person to be around. Um, and after a few years, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and then realizing that, look, I, I need to do something about this and getting help, getting counseling, etc. I was like, no, I don't, this is not who I want to be. I actually like the person I was before I got shot and I want that guy back. So I went on a long process of um, counseling, did a spiritual healing workshop, which I mentioned to you in 1998, which just kind of burst the doors open on my true nature. And then from that moment onwards, I just refused to go back to being this, I felt like a two dimensional person. I was like this cardboard cutout and was living in a cartoon world with all of these um, stupid people um, who identified themselves as as gangsters or bad men. And even though I wasn't one of them, I was in that world and had to live in that world and be of that world and kind of protect myself within that environment. So when I took myself out of that environment and got back to who I was, um, I took those experiences of the dark 
so feminine, masculine. So the dark and the light brought them together for them to be, okay, this is the way you're going to help others by understanding the dark, living in the light, and then guiding first myself, but then others like my daughter, the people who I worked with before I had my business. And then within my business now, it's, I'm, I really am protecting my people, my clients from the dark by using the light. That's what is, that's, that was, that's the key to everything I do. It's using, understanding the dark, but remaining in the light and empowering others to keep the dark at bay kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I'm going to break it down. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, you're right. So, <clears throat> you um, you run a security company, and mm -hmm. so you've got customers, which I guess, um, <clears throat> uh, well, they're organisations that need guarding in, yes. in some in some some sense. Um, what what do you what what do you see in terms of leadership? Uh, in in other organisations, what the lack of? <laughs> well, it's, I see a lot of lack. It's a it's a, it's a different kind. Yeah, it's a different kind of leadership. But it's a leadership that doesn't recognise the the people that they they're leading. Um, and so one day, two o'clock in the morning, after finishing shift, I I went home. This is in March the third, twenty nine, two thousand thirteen. Sorry, <laughs> and um, just registered my business. Uh, with zero clients because I was just okay if if if, if no one's going to do it I'm going to have to do it myself um, and it was a way to see if the way I believed it should be done could be done um, because no, nobody else was doing it um, and if you speak to a lot of the people in security they're, they're seen as a number people are treated as a number go here you're a commodity go here go there do this do that there's no thought around um, how you're going to get to to the places where you're working what's going on you know, where you're working there's no pre-knowledge you might be going into a tough environment and you're not told so how do you prepare yourself how do you even say no if you don't want to um so there was a lack of concern consideration for there is a lack of concern and consideration for the people who who work for security companies and again from using the conflict management skills that i gained on the job but then also when i became a trainer in, in 2005 it's about how do you manage negative behavior how do you how do you positively constructively manage this behavior which to to in a way which it is not detrimental to the to yourself or the businesses that you're representing and it's not easy it really it really isn't easy and i can see why a lot of the security companies operate in the way they do because it it, it solves a problem by just putting someone into a position without giving them too much knowledge or time because it takes time to coach and mentor i coach and mentor my people using the knowledge that i've gained over the years to to help shorten their um knowledge journey it took me a long time school of hard knocks to a certain extent yeah getting a shot is kind of that's a hard knock <laughs> and the school of hard knocks to learn what i've learned and um rather than i i don't want any of my people or anyone i work with to experience that the other side is I don't really take on, I don't take on high risk venues and high risk um, uh, places. 
you know, we do the nicer end of the market. Our tagline is security for nice people by nice people. So that should give you a little idea of how we're positioning ourselves. And we do events and weddings and trendy bars. So that's one way of limiting the, the, the danger. But then the other one is just empowering my people with the skills and tools and techniques to manage other human beings. Mm. Mm. So before we started filming, you mentioned that you see yourself as an anxious leader. Yes, I worry a lot. Can you just <laughs> describe to us then how this informs your leadership? So, so anxiety is, is, is good and bad. Anxiety is bad when it stops you from taking action. Um, and I, I try to overcome that and stop myself from procrastinating. You might do in, you know, accepting the invitation to do this podcast. Maybe a year ago, I'd be like, ooh, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself out there. I don't want to tell my story um, publicly. Um, and then I think the good anxious is that you it makes you look at lots of different angles um, on what you're doing, how you're how you're doing it, the impact you're having on others. Um, makes you makes me care um, about what I'm what I'm doing and how I'm doing it um, because you know we we sometimes we know the what and what we're trying to achieve, but the how we go about getting the result we want can be damaging to to other people and I I don't want to do that I don't want to be in that space I don't want to be responsible for damaging anyone else so um, my it my it guy it just guides me but I've got to let it make sure it doesn't stop me from um, taking taking action once I've decided on a course okay this is the right thing to do don't get anxious to the point I've I talk myself out of of doing um, what I feel is right, going back to the right mm. and the wrong thing again. And part of that, I guess, is the um, <clears throat> that scale between anxiousness or anxiety and and confidence. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're using it uh, now as a a way to stay sharp. Yeah, overconfidence is not a good thing. I've seen many overconfident people get themselves into it into issues and problems and it's just because it it, yeah, it stops you from seeing your blind spots overconfidence mm -hmm. so that's a good way of putting it you know I, I do want to stay sharp I do want to continue to be an asset within my within my business so that means try to find out what I don't know um, that feedback is a huge part of of what we do it's, it's written into our manifesto as such that like feedback 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 it lets you know where you're at it lets you know what you're doing good it lets you know what you need to improve on um, I encourage all of my team members to seek feedback actively seek feedback and not be afraid of it like uh, you know like start flinching when you're someone's going to say something about you it's okay it's just if you see it as okay I have areas of improvement rather than you're being criticized and being put down um, and then also because a lot of people, we love to hear good things about ourselves, don't we? And sometimes we, we, we don't want to hear the not so good. It seems um, uh, kind of interesting that because I, I imagine in the, the security field um, and what I've come across in, in that area is that the kind of people who go into it tend to have very fragile egos. Yes and no. I think that might be an old school way of thinking about it. There's been changes in the industry where people have to get licensed now and, and do a course to get into the industry. Whereas previously, when I first came into security, so 
give my journey. The first security job I ever did was at 17 years old. I was a security guard. They, again, the company not really knowing who I am on, you know, what I, what I can do, put me in in a building in St. James's Park to look after. It was, there was a fire there. I forget the name of the organization, but it's quite a well-known organization. Anyway, they put me into the building by myself to look after this multi-million pound building in St. James's Park, a 17-year-old. Um, <laughs> it didn't work out very well, <laughs> let's say. And then in, at 20, I, um, the door, I got a door supervisor job in Brixton and it was literally some, I was looking for a job. Someone said, oh, they're looking for security in Brixton and they gave me the advert. I went down, they saw my size, they gave me a job. It was not It was not down to my, my skills or abilities. I, I had none at the time and I learned everything on the job. Um, and then in, fast forward to 2003, the SIA Security Industry Authority came in and they, you know, it was a pilot scheme they did in London. I was actually sat on the pilot scheme. And so since that was to remove the, the criminal element that were in the security industry for many years before. And so that cleaned it up. So now there are times I've worked with, I work with people who they've got degrees, they, you know, masters, um, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people is coming to the security industry because they, you know, they can get the license quite easy, quite easily and work is, you know, prevalent for them. Um, and it's amazing how intelligent some of the people I've worked with can be. And the fragile ego side of it, there are people, yes, who, who do come into it with in, in that, wearing that, that identity. Um, I don't employ them. You know, I'm, I, I, I interview, when I'm interviewing people, I starts off as an interview and it becomes a, dialogue or conversation it's usually an hour hour and a half long I don't think I've done an interview in the last two three years which was less than an hour because they're getting to know me I'm getting to know them and we'll quickly know by the end of it whether we're going to work together or not because um, it's about it, it's all about values that the values come out um, and if their values don't fit with free partnerships then I don't employ them Mm. Um, so the fragile ego yes that's in there and people I just I just see a lot of those guys they're scared when I see a person standing on the door with a frown on his face or with his his um, with intimidation leading with intimidation I, I see the little boy or the little girl the, the scared person I see the fear um, and I kind of engage them from a place of you have nothing to fear and then they quickly drop that persona and show their true self. It's about safety. It's an, it, it can be a dangerous environment. I, I got shot in that environment. So there are real dangers there. So some people believe they need to put on this front to push the danger away. But sometimes in that, they're, they're actually attracting the, the dangers that they trying to um, kind of reject or push away. Well, I'm curious to know what some of the core values you're looking for in your employees are. But also I think what I'm hearing is very much in alignment with kind of our mastering power approach where we look at kind of this three-stage process in mastering responsible power, which is being receptive, reflective and responsive. Mm -hmm. And so also, have you ever worked with anyone that's just not receptive to anything that you want to bring to them as a leader? And therefore, is there ever any way to overcome it or do you just move on to find someone who is open and receptive um 
I never like to give up on, on anybody. Um, however, um, be, long before I started my business, um, I, I, I worked out that people are ready for the truth when they're ready for the truth. But it's my responsibility to speak that truth regardless of whether they're ready for it or not. And I learned that lesson myself uh, many years ago when I overheard somebody say something about me. And this, and this is one of the reasons why I um, love feedback and I open myself up to feedback because what I heard, I didn't, I heard it at the time, but it didn't, I didn't absorb it at the time. I absorbed it many months later, but it changed my life. So a particular situation, somebody was causing trouble at one of the venues I was looking at in Brixton. You know, I, I asked him to stop about two, three times. And then on the third time it got physical and, you know, I put him down and probably maybe did it a little bit more forceful than I needed to. And the person, I overheard this person who knew me before I got shot. was like, oh, Lex used to be a nice guy before he got shot. And I dismissed the other times like, but do you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but around 10 months later, those, I was by myself, no one around, no one to, no bravado necessary. And those words came back to me. And I said to myself, he's right. And that was 1996. And that was the start of me healing. And so what I, what I, what I do is I tell people the truth of what I see. Um, and I have a situ particular situation at the moment right now with a person who's quite egotistical. Um, I use the word haughty with him because he looks down on others and thinks he's better than others with no actual evidence. And he doesn't see his, his um, the areas of, of improvement. He's so focused on what he does well that he's not actually seeing that you're not doing this so well. So I actually posed, posed a question to him this week, which was, if everybody on the team was doing what you were doing, how would that affect the safety of the venue? And then I, on a more positive note, I was like, if everyone was doing what you do, what you do well, how would that affect the safety of the venue as well? So I gave him two poses. I'm just going to wait for him to, to see what he comes with and see how it affects him. So patience is patience is is very much important in help in trying to help other people improve and grow. And patience in yourself as well for you to improve and grow. Without having patience with myself, I may have fallen and not allowed myself to to get back up. Um, but there are occasions where somebody just doesn't get it and you have to let them go because they could be, if you leave them in your organization, they could erode the, the goodwill, the culture. Um, and the values that I look for in, in others is, one of them is actually, you gotta have some kind of love in you for, for people. Um, and I think it's one of the, the qualities that isn't really engendered in the security industry like if you're working with people you've got to like people and you got to you got to have some form of love for people but you shouldn't be working where you have to deal with people on a face-to-face -face basis just you know go go and work in a in an office or something where there's no people around for some organizations particularly sort of seeing that you're in the security industry i think the, the fact that you use the word love um, uh, you, you know, some people say, yeah, yeah. "Hang on, that doesn't kind of compute, yeah. really." Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, when we've been looking at how do we project ourselves, what language do we use? 
um, there are organisations out there talking about love, but uh, it kind of closes it down for them mm-hmm. um, in some ways because a lot of people just say, ah, you know, uh, love that happens in the bedroom. It doesn't. It doesn't happen at, in, in at work. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting that you're you use that word, mm-hmm. uh, and so perhaps say a little bit if you'd say a little bit more about that and and um do you you you, in in the way that you describe yourself you 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 talk about love and that being a really important value and we'll hear what other ones you've got in a sec as well how how do you find that your customers your clients i don't know when you call them clients or customers um how, how do they react to that kind of mindset um all right okay so the security industry is a bit I was going to say strange, but it's not strange. It's it probably reflective of other industries as well, where languages, the language I use with the people I deal with, might be stronger. To, it, it, the, the, the soft, wishy-washy stuff shuts people down. But it's the you know I remember someone saying to me um, years ago, "Oh, that's cheesy." And I said, "Yeah, love is cheesy. Doesn't mean it's not needed. Um, doesn't mean it's not important." You know, but when you look at love and what, and you break it down, yes, it's it's, it's cheesy stuff. You know, that's why any love stuff is romance. They're cheesy movies. You know, when you, when you look at romance stuff, but love love is something that when when applied and used in the correct manner is powerful. So the power of it is what matters. Um, and I introduce it to my guys. My not maybe calling it love, although. Um, I I do use it in a set. I use it in a sense of when I'm setting up my teams, and sometimes there's friction in the teams, and I'm like, look, guys, um, you have to remember this: we're a family, and so we might not always like each other, but we always love each other. And uh, they they've really taken to that. They like that um, because it it really frames it. It's like, yes, I'm not going to like my colleague all the time, but I will have my colleagues back all the time. I will look out for my colleague all the time. I will make sure that they're okay because. You know, there's a deeper connection going on, so it's it's interesting. I think maybe people are more ready for it now than in the past. And my my um, my introducing love into the security um, services, how I provided them, and for the people around me, came from when I started to train the security courses. I used to train the courses for people to get their like their licenses to work in the industry, and um, there was a model, my customer care model. Um, which I developed because I thought I felt what was on the course just didn't really break it down. So I would ask people instead of thinking of customer care, how do you treat the people you care about? And so I would ask them what qualities, and they would give me the qualities. And in a room full of guys, I was like, "There's something missing here, guys, on this list." And it was like, mm. and then there would just be this silence. And I'm like, "There's something really missing here, guys." I've just really tried to encourage and pull the word out of them. And I'm like, "Okay, who's got kids?" and people who had kids would put their hands up. I said, how do you feel about your children? And then the word love would come because it's their child. It's easier to say, but to say um, love a customer, love what, no. Um, but then how I framed it was, okay, imagine if you're treating people like you respect them, you love them, you listen to them, you care for them, you, you look after them, all of these qualities that they would um, tell me and I would write down on a flip chart. What effect does that have on the person that's receiving that and then they would then give me the answers. I'd say, okay, so if you did that at work, what kind of 
venue are you going to have? What kind of place are you going to have? What you did that with your colleagues? What kind of work environment would you have? And again, they would give the answers, and it's very just by taking them on that journey and introducing love into it, they saw the power of it to make better environments, more harmony, more peaceful, more friendly. You know, an environment that they would look forward to going to work to. So, I mean, I first did that in probably about two thousand and seven. And then when I saw the power of it, I was like, well, I've got to keep it. I've got to keep doing this because it's changing their mindsets, you know. And then um, because the company I worked for, we were doing the training for them. A lot of those guys would then come in to work with the, the security company I worked for. I would then end up working with quite a lot of them, mentoring and coaching them. But then I could see the the tools that they were that were passed on to them in the training, how they were using them and the benefits they were getting from using those tools and using the love and being more... Um, of a human being when working rather than a security person and with the identity that goes with I'm a security person if they just identify themselves as a, I'm a security person I'm a door supervisor I'm a security guard I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bodyguard I'm a close protection officer there's a stereotypical mm. identity and behaviour that goes with that mm. so to, to take them away from that it's no you're a human being delivering a service and a human being delivering a service uses these qualities and has this effect. And then when they do it and they see the effect that they're having, it, it means they hold on to hold on to those skills and keep on keep on using them because they're having a positive effect and they're hearing good things about themselves, <laughs> obviously. So what is your kind of advice to people that want to be able to maintain inner peace, harmony and equilibrium in challenging times when we okay. are all very susceptible mm-hmm. to things? Well, I think it goes back to something I was saying earlier, um, being stubborn to your vision. If you're stubborn to your vision, you it's hard to take you off the path because you're. this is what I want to achieve, this is how I want to do it, but don't be stubborn to the methodology. And so what I tried to get my guys to open open up this, there's, um, there's an exercise, I did a workshop recently and, you know, the people in the in the group group a lot of them were quite fixed on oh, it has to be this way so I was like okay let's do this exercise <clears throat> number seven how many ways to get to the number seven and they were like what do you mean I was like how many ways can you get to the number seven and they were like, can you subtract can you divide I said you can do whatever you like <laughs> and I just said I just gave them two minutes because obviously if you carry on you're going to just give loads and loads of time so within those two minutes I said like, how many do you okay I came up with nine came up with seven came up with I said okay what what does that mean and it was like, okay, there's different ways to get to the, to a conclusion or solution. Mm-hmm. It's not always one way. So it's opening, open, I try to open up my, the, the people on my team in my company, open up their mind to, there's many, many roads to that vision. There's many, many roads to create harmony, peace. It might not always be comfortable because you're not used to that way, but the result is what matters. I usually get feedback, oh, my, my my girlfriend said I'm much more calm or my <laughs> you know my mum has my mum said oh you've changed or because it's, it's life it's life stuff mm. it's really it really is life stuff um, it but they they probably wouldn't embrace it if it came as a life oh this is for your life because yeah, it's, oh, it's work and then it just has that knock on effect of mm. you uh, having a positive effect in their life. But again, it's that language stuff. It's the, how does it, I, I will accept it because it's a work thing, but would would somebody really go and get life coaching? Would they really want to admit that they've got a problem in their personal life? 
sometimes. Mm. Sometimes I think that's hard for people. It was hard for me to admit I had a problem in my personal life. It took me four and a half years to admit that I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder mm. uh, and then to go and get the help that I needed. So, and I think I'm very conscious of my own journey to where I, where I, where I am today. I, I try not to forget. It's like being a father. Don't forget what it was like when you were a child. Mm. Remember what it was like when you were five or if, or if you can remember that far back. I don't think we can anymore, can we, Tom? <laughs> I, I think some people do and some people don't. Yeah. I'm one of those that doesn't. <laughs> it's a long time ago. It, it, well, no. Well, yes, yes, it is a long time ago. But <laughs> I'm just teasing you, by the way, Tom. I think various things in, in childhood, um, in order to survive, we suppress. Imagine opening a can of worms that would, wouldn't it? With yeah, lots of other kids. Exactly. But, um, yeah, so I try to remember my journey and that increases my empathy when I'm when other people are on the journey. And lots of my teams are, you know, when you coach and mentor people, you, you get to know it's not just work. You get to know other stuff and other things that are going on that affect work. Um, and in those times, I try to hold to um, how long it took for me for change to embed and be permanent. In, in myself so which relates to your other question of not you know how when do you just cut somebody off and say okay I can't do anything this person doesn't get it I, I remember a quote from Richard Branson um, he was talking about he finds it hard to sack people and I thought that was this was before I started my own business and that that stuck with me I'm like Richard Branson finds it hard to sack people he said I'd rather move them to somewhere else to find out if they're good in that position rather than to get rid of them Um Maybe that was when he was more hands-on in his mm. business. Probably not the case, case now. But that was quite informative for me. You know, it shouldn't be so easy just to throw someone to the wayside. And insecurity, that's just prevalent. It's like, yeah, okay, bye. We don't need you anymore. This is um, it's kind mm. of really interesting because you talk about Richard Branson and that was before he was you know so a certain size and so mm -hmm. on and, and i was wondering because you've got quite a small organization mm -hmm. i think i think it's reasonably small and so you have the whole of your organization that you can control mm -hmm. and whilst you've told me some amazing things and maybe if you've got the time you can talk about it in terms of how some of your people are, are taking their own initiative and yes. running things in in their way which is completely because you've empowered them to do that. But I'm I'm interested whether, as you see yourself going forward, the organisation will get to a size where it's going to be very difficult for you to be that, I, I want to use the word sort of father figure, that, that's creating this amazing culture. So is that a concern for you? Or can you see a way where some of your people are taking these kind of initiatives so that it's not just dependent on you, that you're growing a culture that can grow to a large organisation. Yeah. Yes, it's a huge concern. As the company grows, will will we will the culture dilute? Is a word I look at. I've seen it happen with other places, other organisations I work where they've got bigger and their their ethos gets lost, um, or the original reason they um, started, um, you know gets convoluted or mixed up or just just comes about money um i think one of the ways i i 
try to avoid that is telling the story of why I started Freer's Partnerships to every single person who comes into the organization. So I will tell them I started out of frustration. I will tell them it was because I didn't like the way companies treated security people. You know, they usually, yeah, they treat us like a number. They'll usually say the next next line because they've had that um, experience. Um, and there was a point where a couple of years in, I was like, I was people were coming to just to, to start work, and I was like, man, they're bringing all of this um, frustration and anger from how they've been treated with other companies, believing I'm I'm the same as those other companies. And I, at that point, I hadn't quite got the the wording and how to articulate what we're about, you know, down packed to have that emotional impact. I was like, I'm going to have to put these guys through a decontamination chamber because they're just bringing all this toxic um, energy into my business. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not where that's not what we're about, you know. And it was it was really obvious how you know the these the effects of other companies was weighing on them, um, and they just expected me to be the same. And even though I was saying what I was saying, it was like, yeah, right, I've heard this before. It was that kind of um, response. And so I was like, okay, I need to tell them why I started Freest Partnerships share the journey and then tell them my own story as, as to the experience I've had and then it was okay I like this guy I trust this guy and one of the things I picked up with an organisation I used to work for was they you know because I worked in their office and I would listen to them do their interviews and they made out like they were this amazing company um, and I worked in the office but I was also working on the front line and people on the front line were saying something completely different <laughs> than the guys in the office and Intuitively, at the time, I understood your culture is what your people say it is, not what you as a manager or a boss say it is. So at, when I started my business, I was like, okay, you've got to make sure. What do you want? What do I want my people to be saying about free as partnerships? So that was where I put most of the work, most of the focus and work into was how do I get the people to say what free as partnerships is? what do I need to do? How do I need to treat them? You know, what do they need to see from me first? And then when they go to work, what needs to happen there as well? So that was, that drove everything, everything, because I knew in my culture is what they say is. I can say whatever I want to people. And I confidently in my interviews say, look, I can say whatever I want to say about free as partners. It's not going to put down my own business, but it's not what I say it is. It's what the guys you go to work say it is. So when you go to work, ask them questions. I don't think many security companies could say that confidently. Mm -hmm. You know, ask those questions. They will tell you how they've been treated, you know, in, in, in the years that they've been with me, what we're, what we're about, you know, that, that is the company. And then equally, I say to them, you can say anything great about yourself right now, but who you are is what I hear about you from your colleagues and from my clients. Mm -hmm. So be aware that it's a two-way process. And then I always put on the table as well that it's a symbiotic relationship. I need you, you need me. I've got a company, I've got work, but without workers, there's no company. Without the work and the environment, the environment that people look forward to go, go into work in, that's been created, not just by me, but the, the people in the business. So those those values are, it, it's honesty is, that's one of them, openness, the empowering of other people, other human beings. And the story that you alluded to was uh, something that just evolved this year from something negative that evolved into something really super positive. 
And Paisa had a team leader in a, in a venue. Um, I put him. I had to put him into place quite quickly. Um, and I knew he wasn't going to be long in my business. But the the client, it was this. I had to play a little bit of politics here because the client liked him, and I was like, okay, let's keep him in place for for the time being. But I knew it wasn't going to last because he just didn't have certain qualities about him. And eventually, he he ended up leaving the the, the that particular venue, and is a six man team. And I didn't put another team leader in place. And consciously, intuitively, it's like, let's see how this, let's see what happens. Um, and this is the round, the place with the round table. It turned into a round table. Um, when they have their debriefs at the end of the night, they all share their experiences. They all look for solutions. They all, they've, they've come to me and say, oh, Lex, we thinking of doing this and this we had we've noticed this and we you know we want to mitigate it by doing this and I remember when they the first time the spokesperson came to and, and put that to towards me and then he got self-conscious afterwards he's like have I overstepped yeah. <laughs> I was like no 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 not at all I'm like I'm very impressed that you guys have taken responsibility of, of your venue um and I'm talking to Tom about this before the 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 operations manager came and was like was one day was like Lex who's the who's the um, team leader and I said there isn't one I said it's it's a round table it's a collective they've taken collective responsibilities like yeah I think we need a team leader um, um, and I was like um, I, I think it's working <laughs> you know but because he, it, it's not a model that he's used to it was like no 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 but I was like just watch I said if and if it goes wrong I'm happy to put in a team leader but it seems to be working at this particular moment in time and this was two months ago he hasn't mentioned it again because he's seen that it actually works. Now, I don't know if it's down to the characters in the team or that will be a model that we can replicate in, in other venues. But I sat in on one of their debriefs um, on Saturday night. It's fantastic to see. Uh, it's amazing. Each, every single person, nobody talked over another person. It was absolute maximum respect for each individual and the part that they play in the success of, of the venue. And even the manager of the particular venue, he's, uh, he's come back and he's complimented me and said, your team are amazing. And he, I don't even know if I should say this on camera because I don't know if it's gonna go, but he was like, no, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. It might, it might go out to the wrong. But you're highlighting something that, that is so exciting. And if you look at the models of the future organization and the way that a future organization exactly, is exactly as you describe. Mm -hmm. And what is amazing is if you empower people, fundamentally, people come from a positive place. Mm -hmm. But they're so often, almost always, are in an environment where it is assumed that they're going to have negative intent or that they're going to need to be micromanaged. And so that's what you get. Yes. But if you give people the space, mm -hmm. it is amazing. I love that story. We're nearly out of time, Jessica. Have you got a have you got a final I just want to say thank you. I've really, really enjoyed listening Can to Can I just it. say one more thing yeah. about that team? Because this is this amazed me. One of the people on that team has moved in it to Essex. He was living in London, he's moved to Essex. The venue is on the other side of London from him. And he was like, oh, Lex, do you have other places where I can work actually closer to home or the hours are more conducive to him getting back on time? And I was like, we looked at it and I was like, I've got this. He's like, no, that's not, that can't work. He said, and he said to me, you know, I'll stay there. 
he finishes work about 2.30 in the morning and he won't get home till seven. But he was said, I will stay because I, I love working there. And I was like, that's a massive sacrifice of time. But because of that culture that they have, he would rather be a part of that than to move somewhere else or move to another organization that's closer to home and more convenient. And that, I've got to make sure other people have this experience. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's on me to build the business and make sure we hold on to this culture and other people have this experience of enjoying their work. And that's my responsibility. Like I see that, bring bring this to, to more people. It's not about money. It's like, yes, every business has to make money to, to continue, but it's this has gone beyond that now. That kind of feedback is like, it humbles me. Mm. Like, and I was like, are you sure that you're, you're happy to do that? And he's like, yes. And I was like, okay, I'll put your money up <laughs> just as to help you with um, travel and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, thanks boss, thanks boss. I'm like, no, you're showing, uh, you're going above and beyond with your loyalty here. So I, I need to, you know, show you my appreciation in return and just saying thank you sometimes isn't enough. You kind of need to do it in action. So yeah, I'm, I'm, my guys surprise me pretty much every week now. I'm being surprised by the people that are in my organization and just the commitment and the loyalty that they have to free partnerships. So for those out there watching this, 3S Partnerships, <laughs> that is a security company to work with. Um, an organization that um, is a little beacon for the future. And um, I, I, I really admire you for doing that. And I admire the way that you're doing it. So thank you, Lex. Thank you so much.